Hello and welcome to episode five of Horse Heretics. I'm Neil McComb. And I'm William Hepburn. And uh, today we're talking about Galaxy and Flames. This, to me, uh, to be honest with you, the last two books we've, we've read, they've had some good bits in them. But I've sometimes just thought, what am I doing with my life? Like, reading these books, <laughs> taking notes on them and uh, trying to discuss them in some interesting way and you know there's 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 fun stuff uh but i've thought it's not you living your best life <laughs> well it is now that's what we're getting to neil right because i was looking back at, and i was looking back at these books and thinking i remember really enjoying these at least the, the first three when i read them about 11 years ago or whatever it was and after reading the first two i was like hmm, maybe i was just really stupid or had bad tastes this but, is a bad endeavor we've set ourselves upon <laughs> But reading this book, I was like, right, this is the good stuff. This is this is why I read these books and uh, why they were fun. And it just will prepare listeners for William to set your imagination to light with his description of this book. <laughs> um, let's begin. I've I sort of picked out a few plot plot threads for us to look at, and the first one is involving our protagonist Lokin. Uh, he is still here. He is still starting things off in the training pits <laughs> classic classic <laughs> classic way to get a, a motor running <laughs> Logan is training hard he is glistening in sweat <laughs> they make mention of his heroic physique which is brilliant <laughs> um, and it's it's basically described by Keeler no excuse me by Mercedes as she latches over him it's her point of view and she is taking a few sort of secretive photographs with her eyes at his uh glistening straining sinews but, but she is beside uh, cinderman cinderman tells loken of the opponents of the war master being killed carcassi varvarus petronella the end of the last book they were all killed and that keeler used faith in the emperor as a weapon so he lays it all out on the table these are the things that you couldn't talk about with loken before but now he is much more of a mind with this uh, at which point they tell him about the Remembrancers being kind of hamstrung by Malagurst. He is given an edict that they're not allowed to leave their restricted areas almost. That's when Malagurst walks in uh, and they have a bit of a standoff. Cinderman is told to go back to, to his quarters. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Woken, so he's just the same. And, and this is a point, a good point to speak about something that, that makes me think this Ben Counter character who wrote this, sorry, not character, a real person. I'm not talking about a character in the book, this is the author of the book. He, um, I think he basically set about the task of fixing stuff that was wrong with this series so far. And one of the things that was clearly wrong is Loken, right? He's already the protagonist, essentially. But he, like, like we've talked about so far, he's just, he's so far gone down the path of all these, all this, so many times when he sees bad stuff and he doesn't really do anything about it, that like, you need someone else to step into that. And uh, that's where Tarvitz comes in in this book, I think. He becomes like the first proper hero, really, in this book. And it's just all, it, all, all of it in this book just becomes a much more satisfying, much more simple. These evil characters have gone properly evil. And that for the first time, it gives you some people doing some heroic stuff that's quite satisfying. And, and Tarvid sort of starts that off by being unlike every other emperor's child. Basically, you're on his side from the very first, from his very first appearance. Yeah, uh, it's it's about this stage in the book, I think, that he does appear. Um, he's he's on a space station 
with Lucius. Uh, they're killing some orcs in a sort of side arc that they have a falling out, basically. But it's like a permanent falling out. Realize that they used to be really close friends, but they're going completely different ways. Tarvitz down his uh, kind of down his non-chaos route, and Lucius down his uh, ultra Puritan chaos crazy man. <laughs> we know this because he has scarred his face with a perfect grid pattern, so we know he's bad. Like. <laughs> He's gone full pinhead. There's, there's discussed this with Horace already, and I'm slightly getting to the second half of the book here, but there's a problem with the way they deal with chaos. You see characters going, all right, they're getting more kind of evil in their way they're carrying on. But then it turns out the the transition to actual evil is just like bit of magic you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah so it's like yeah. so it's like was it just a coincidence that he was sort of turning i mean i know it, like maybe that was them becoming more susceptible to it so i suppose it sort of makes sense but it's like yeah anyway i'm probably just moaning unfairly but uh well i mean if you remember how we left the last book it was the real low point of horus turning to heresy he has this big collection of of luminaries around him and he says, I am now a heretic. Let's go on a battle. And that's it. It was basically <laughs> given no more space than that. So this book, the first time we see Horus, is a, a gruesome chaos murder and a demon. Yeah, they literally sacrifice uh, Ingme Singh to converse with a demon. Is that yeah. right? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? J- yeah. just, just like that. Just like that. I mean, it links up with Loken's tale because that book that Sinderman said that Loken should read, he's left a, a cunning message in it. <laughs> and it's it's basically, uh, Horus is evil. <laughs> Go and look at, for the temple. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and so Loken sort of strokes his chin a little bit and goes, hmm. <laughs> How can I make sense of this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, riddle after riddle. <laughs> Instantaneously, Loken knows what that means. It's the strategium. He yeah. goes to the strategium. He says, huh, so the message said, look for the temple. He smells something. He walks over. He finds the door to the temple. That's it. Like, that, like there was no hiding. There was no discovery. In any other book that I've read, any other book, they would have opened that up, opened that mystery at the start of the book, had a few dead ends to go down, <laughs> and then secretly revealed it at some point. But no, there is no mystery here. It is, you're told where it is, you go to it, you find the secret door, it leads to a really good bit, so I don't mind. Because <laughs> this is, yeah, the strategium, is that what it's called? That's like where yeah. up till now their main point for chatting about what they're going to do next and all that sort of stuff but now it's basically been abandoned is what because because horace has moved into the what, he, what they're calling the looper cow's court which is now adorned with um with chaos banners and whatnot it's it's a full-on throne room yeah and it's all of this represents the breaking of the mournival since the last book torgadin and loken on one side uh abaddon and Daxmand on the other and the it is right out in the open, as is the membership of the lodges. Yeah. All of this is in the open. It's completely <coughs> broken the legion. Uh, there, there are now two sides, and Horus only takes advice from Ab- Abaddon and Aximand and sort of leaves the other two members of it out in the cold. And do you know, um, I think one of the reasons why this book is better 
is because, well, obviously there's still a revelation to a lot of the people in the book to come that Horus is evil and turned to chaos. But yeah. but we as readers obviously know now, right? And I think ugh, there were some good bits, like when he got showed those visions in the last book. But by and large, the drama and the story of Horus turning to chaos they fluff their lines with that basically right and like n- now that he's just evil it's a lot better yeah yeah i'd agree with that because we've in both books we have said that when uh, some filthy alien is not being mulched by machine guns <laughs> it's really boring <laughs> um and there are there are very few mulchings happening in this book but the, the 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 quiet drama is actually really good yeah so i was i was sort of thinking that something like the the description of the Lactitio Divinitatis is in this book is much, much better than it has been up till now. So you brought up the, the Lactitio there. We meet them for the first time. They're having a secret meeting in some old rusty part of the ship. Who is it? The uh, the Titan Moderati. Uh, Titus, that's him. Yeah. Uh, he's leading this the congregation in, in telling them about... Uh, the emperor and how the emperor protects and and all of this stuff and it gets broken up and some people get shot by space marines so horus and the the legion know very well that this kind of stuff is going on and it's like fully in their midst so everything has the this is at the start of the book so the table has been set basically there are two sides now and uh, we have the powerful evil people and the simple good people and the theirs will be the battle against each other yeah yeah i guess that's like set for the remainder of this book and then it goes on to a different sort of plane from then on but um titus cassar that's another change that doesn't really get announced but do you remember when this storyline was introduced not the like tissue storyline overall but the the titan pilot storyline was introduced it was from jonah arakin's perspective initially right yeah and like cassar was this guy it's a sort of side character now it seems like in this book ben counter has decided to make cassar the the focus of this of, of bits to do with them and it, it is more it's better yeah it's better it's a lot better for sure yeah and although he's he's never a a main character he fulfills a role which I think I don't think can be said for a lot of characters in the in the past. Yeah, Cinderman is back in his in his quarters, and he gets a vision imparted to him of the saint Keeler. She lies in the Medicaid Bay after destroying the demon. That was that's an interesting point we should probably bring up now as well. This is I think months if not. I think it might even be a couple of years after the last book. Yeah, it's at least, and that kind of caught me by surprise because it's at least, it's at least months. It's at least like a year, probably. Yeah. Uh, because, because yeah, Sinderman says that at one point. He's like, for months yeah. and months, he's been visiting Keeler in the medical bay or whatever. So his vision is one of the the, the saintly figure of Keeler, but it is ripped up by this image of Horus and Horus looks full on crazy in the vision he's in like full black Terminator armor uh, he's got a, his hand is a claw 
and he's got like red LED lights that sort of <laughs> illuminate his face and a big orange eye on his on his chest on his breastplate so he looks an absolute picture he's not trying to hide his evilness but this is just a vision which turns out to literally be true uh, which is great and then uh you know that that vision is tried to be pushed back up against the by the the saint uh, and it's followed by some words something like she needs your help or she's in danger or something he needs to be by the saint's side immediately and this is where the the sort of the the line the the two plot threads of keeler and of cinderman sort of cross with horace's because uh, Horace somehow knows that that message has been sent, but he doesn't know who to. So he's in the temple with Erebus. They call her in and basically say, listen, we know that you sent that message. Who was it to? And she doesn't respond. She keeps it secret to who she sent it. And Horace, I think, doesn't Horace like punch through her chest? and out the back of her body and then allow her guts just to like flow onto the fire yeah, it's at pretty which point a demon comes out of it it's pretty horrible yeah um so this is Ingmay Singh you're talking about here yeah, yeah. it's Ingmay Singh see this totally backs up what we were saying in the in the last uh discussion when we were saying everyone's like like the whole premise of this stuff happening like with Woken we're like oh my god there's a there's like powers in the warp that are you know um can do amazing like incredible things and all that and 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 we were saying how you've actually you know in all the ships you've got these what are they called astro paths astro astro paths yeah who she evidently has the power to send people psychic messages (laughs) yeah that, that is true but no it's a it's a totally fair point they they're totally cool with sending visions uh and obviously she fired lasers out of her eyes last time <laughs> uh, presumably that would, wouldn't have been a shock to them but yeah but it's just it's the full acceptance isn't it of of all of these sort of horrible uh, death dealing cults and demons and everything it, it was a shock at first but almost instantly it wasn't a shock at all and they just took it all on board although you could argue i suppose that Ben Counter did a, a sort of genius job by just going, listen, it's two years later. You don't know what happened in that two years. They pro- probably got really dark. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just didn't describe it. I'm okay with that. So yeah, that's fine. that's fine. And it's better than some of the stuff they've chosen to skip in the past. Like, you know, we've talked about that. Sometimes it feels like what should be the absolute, absolutely central dramatic moments are just not there. Whereas that doesn't you, feel like the case here. Yeah, yeah. If you if you skip the drip by drip fall into chaos and then show us in a in a big stark image that that has happened, that works, um, and it works with the sort of the the shock of the event itself. You're just like, wow, this group of people, like Ab- Abaddon was there, Axmund were there. They don't bat an eyelid. So shit has been happening. Yeah, uh, in this series while we've been away. Also, Erebus walking around, and I'm not sure exactly what was meant by this, but I thought it was quite cool. Was uh, he's got like flickering shadows or something that fall on about? Yeah, yeah. I read, I read that a bit again, and I was, is this, is that, is that literal? Uh, and I wasn't sure. 
Uh, and I read it again and it did read like, yeah, wherever he walked, there were flickering shadows and the whispering voices. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and so I thought, OK, my, my mind went to, oh, that's bad writing because people will see that. People will hear that. But later on in the book, I think it's Loken is like, holy shit, is Erebus on this ship? He's obviously keeping to himself. And maybe he's just keeping to himself because he can't hide the fact that there are flickering shadows around him. (laughs) It's like, I can't go out, mate. There's flickering shadows all over. (laughs) Exactly. Horace, you have to be evil now, mate. (laughs) Because, listen, I went to bat for you, and now I can't go out. So so, um, that sends Cinderman and uh, Titus, and they pick up Jonah, Arakin, uh, on the way as well to save Keeler, and they get there. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you go into this, what what do Horus and the demon chat about? They um, they make a kind of deal, don't they? They both have something to offer each other, essentially, in the sense that they can't fully operate in the corporeal world, whereas Horus wants the chaos magic. Yeah, Horus says that uh, he can't make the decision now. But after Istvan, he will. Right. And the, the the demon just says, well, that's as good as saying yes to me. And so the deal is done. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Right. Now back to the... That's fairly central to this book and every other book. So <laughs> probably should have given that some time. But yeah, so back in the Medicaid Bay, Arikin, we have Titus and Cinderman pick up and drag Keeler out of the hospital bed. At which point they see Magard, who is the Petronella's silent bodyguard. He now is, is he a legionary? He's bulked up somehow and he's, like they speak about him having basically the build of a space marine, but he he kind of, they get him to do all their, like he sort of does their dirty work kind of thing, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, but he's not not quite a legionary, but maybe he's on his way to being one or it's something. Like, yeah, it's like he's he changed. feels an affinity with them and he wants to be involved with them. He's not, I don't think he's officially like a space marine yeah. or anything yet. But. So he pulls his gun out, tries to shoot Keeler, which is he's on orders from Horace to do, uh, at which point Keeler wakes up for the first time, stops time. Everyone's shocked, but they get away. Yeah. Do we want to go into any more details about that? It was a bit, you know. No, it's a bit matrixy. Yeah, it was. Uh, she does a matrix on him, basically, and um, then Cathar's obviously he's loving it. He's like, <laughs> "This is a pure miracle." Um, and yeah, Arakin's always like, "Oh, I don't know, mate. I don't know, mate." So Horus, ha- having done away with the strategium, now has a big old throne, and he is having a meeting with Karn and Angron. Of the world leaders, is that right? Uh, yeah, okay, it, this is going to be a mouthful of words right here, so uh, bear with me. Um, Mortarian and Nathaniel Garrow of the Death Guard. I just find the name Nathaniel to be very much out of place. And uh, Eidolon, who uh, appeared in the last book or the previous one, can't remember. And he is brilliant uh the the last one that he appeared in uh he was just so like self-aggrandized and was you know striding into battle with his uh with his massive ego he's hilarious in this because it really made me think of like 
one of the, a meeting that you have with your your bosses and you're the most junior person there <laughs> and you're like the the last thing you want is for them to think that you've stepped beyond your bounds you know what i mean like you say something and and they're like no mate you're here for a very specific reason we, do, we don't want your opinion and <laughs> most employers all good employers won't do that They'll, they do want your opinion because you know you're a grown-up but but eidolon has that absolute worst case scenario where he says something and Horace has to say, idle on me. <laughs> don't don't behave like you're one of us. We want we want your opinion on a few small issues. But mate, you do it again, I will fucking kill you. I will fucking kill you. And Eidolon is so stupid that he doesn't even know that he's been beaten down. <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, my lord, I didn't mean to. <laughs> Which just makes Horus even more angry. And he's making Angron angry as well. <laughs> Angron is just, like, Angron's not even making words. He's just spitting phlegm. He's just like, you fucking... <laughs> and Karn is holding him back. And Horus feels like he just has to like dismiss everyone. And like the like the boss he is, he, he just goes to have a quiet word with Eidolon and just goes, I saved you there, mate. <laughs> Angron was gonna fucking deck you. But, um, but it was very entertaining. You know, you, you gotta imagine on like on like the world eaters like capital ship or whatever it's called that like you know, just to kind of keep Angron in check, like, just and not like wreck the whole ship. They must have a sort of permanent sort of day spa going on for him in there, you know. <laughs> just like he's just getting his feet massaged the whole time. There's like incense going, <laughs> just trying, like, absolutely trying everything they can to try and bring his anger levels down. <laughs> they really do hammer on the fact that Angron is very angry. <laughs> like, it, he he can't appear at all without like, taking offense to someone Eidolon <laughs> <laughs> like, does say something to him like and it's in no way inflammatory in no way like was he having a go and uh, <laughs> Angron did try and start a fight He he's like a drunk English football fan just just like what what the fuck did you say what the? It, uh, I kind of like him because he's He's so one-dimensional, but it's a good dimension. <laughs> he's got a good gimmick, right? He's, but... got, he's got his gimmick. <laughs> I, I suppose you could, like, yeah, the the Primarchs could be a whole stable of wrestlers. Well, this this brings me brings me neatly onto an annoyance I have with Emperor's children, and uh, with these are Eidolon and Tarvitz and yeah, that crowd, yeah. right? Because th- their gimmick is. I mean, this is this is a bit per- pernickety, but their gimmick is perfection, right? And I'm like, that's like that doesn't really mean anything in itself, you know? Like, I, like mm-hmm. actually, what they mean it's like finesse or you know, um, artfulness or something like that, you know? When they talk about their, they do actually have a gimmick, and it's like when they're in battle, they, you know, it's all carefully overlapping lines of fire and feints and parries and all that sort of stuff whereas like emperor's children is just like brute force but like they just describe it as like perfection and i'm like i don't know it's not really no but it's it's a good point because every every legion is meant to have their gimmick 
And as far as I can tell, the Sons of Horus don't really have one. Yeah, the, the Sons of Horus is just being the Sons of Horus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We are resolutely average. We are we, we take being average to a whole new level. Well, they become but, not average when Horus is their primary, you know what I mean? Just because he's the leader of the whole deal. So that's sort of enough of a gimmick for them. But before that happens, they're just like, yeah, average or they're good, you know? Yeah. But like, as you say, the Emperor's Children's one, it's a, it's a problem because there are 12, is it 12 legions? It's more than 12. I don't know. It? There's heaps of them. Yeah. There's, there's loads of fucking legions. <laughs> and I think the, the, whoever created them struggled to come up with a good idea for each of them, <laughs> which is, which is what happens in WWE. Like the, you have one good gimmick followed by a bunch of shit ones like it's, it's just like the it's same gimmick done slightly differently yeah I, I was actually thinking i was thinking that for some reason i was musing on this more than once in the course of the past two weeks um the question of right but they've not really come up in these stories so far but one of the big legions is the ultramarines right this is going to make me sound so stupid right but when i uh was younger and into like collecting games workshop models and stuff oh. one of the <laughs> i'm like the act the, the i act on cruise at this point <laughs> fucking get over with it mate <laughs> i've given you the stage use it <laughs> anyway there's oh god already as i start telling this i can feel it's getting too long-winded but uh the so I think you could buy the colour like of the paints. You could buy a colour called Ultramarine Blue, right? Which I thought, because most of the colours they have are named things like, you know, Orc Green or like Chaos Devil. Red or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, Devil's so, Eye Core. <laughs> so I thought, I thought Ultramarine Blue, like, I thought Ultramarine only, in relation to Blue, only existed in a Games Workshop context. So when I, <laughs> when I found out that Ultramarine was like an actual color outside of that i was like all oh, right okay that took me a surprise anyway that's a slight tangent to the main issue which is like <clears throat> i like the ultramarines probably back in the very early days of the warhammer 40k universe like um someone was like uh they were sitting just sort of spitballing and being like right so we've got like we've got to have some of these different types of space marines and like they've got to have a color that's associated with their armor you know that they wear and um and they got to have a name. So one guy's like, well, Marine, Marine, Ultramarine. <laughs> and then, then like, that just stuck, even though it's just the name of a color in the real world. I know. And, and it's it's the reason why I always hated them. Before I knew anything about the books or even the game, I just knew that there were these figures and some people spent too much of their time fighting with them. And... Then I looked at them and I was like, holy shit, those are painted well. That's really cool. And then I learned that the blue ones were called the Ultramarines and they were Marines and they were blue. And I went, nah, come on, come on. I mean, ever since then, I find them the most, the most boring yeah. out of a bunch of boring ones, actually. But <clears throat> the reason why I was going with you when, when you brought that up is that the Ultramarines gimmick is that they are the most tactical you know, um, and Gillum in their Primarch is the best at tactics and, and sort of leading that kind of good war. When you hear about the Emperor's children in this in this book, they all have, you know, overlapping <coughs> fire and and 
precise tactical movements and stuff. And it's exactly the same as the Ultramarines would do. Um, and it just shows that their their gimmicks don't really stand up to a, a whole lot of stress testing. <laughs> I mean, because at least the world eaters are very angry and are repeatedly angry in all of these books. Um, the rest of them don't really have... Well, I'm sure... Oh, the, uh, the Raven Guard are the Goths. Right, <laughs> and they they are goths the whole time, and I can respect that. Well, there's there's a few gimmicks that are like stand out. So the space wolves are the Vikings, basically. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fine, and they're good. Um, Magnus's posse are the magic crowd. Uh, like they like. Yeah, but they, they they just act like everyone else. But they have like spheres going around their heads. <laughs> and they, they live in pyramids, Neil, for God's sake. Oh, shit, that's right. Give them some credit, for God's sake. Oh, God. Pyramid libraries. <laughs> Wait until they come back. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're like, we, we're, we're really getting into this uh, Oh, fuck it, yeah. Let's, let's move on. So, <laughs> uh, all of these people, they've met uh, for a war council and basically Horace just gives them their orders. Uh, you go and do this, you go and do this, we'll go and do something else. They're all attacking Istvan 3, which was previously been made compliant. And uh, so they're all going to take different parts of the city. Uh, it's called the Coral City. Its its gimmick is music. It's yet another beautiful world that's going to be completely destroyed in the second half. Yeah, project. absolutely. <laughs> and again, and the, the short time given over to... Uh, the description of the world, it does sound really good. And yeah, then they gave a they gave a little back a backstory to the thing itself that Istvan was their god or oh, yeah. the creator, and he sung the world and the the beings to life. Yeah, and gave them life, but and populated the world with his sons, but some sons. Um, rebelled and were exiled to a moon and the locals of Istvan think that these bad sons are, have come back in the form of these space marines it's yeah. real it's really it's really a great piece of mythology i really enjoyed that so but, but just after this council this is when it goes to before they attack Istvan 3 itself the emperor children and other people, possibly. Uh, yes, with the with the Death Guard attack Istvan Extremis. Yeah, um, which they think is some sort of communications facility or something like that. Yeah. Um, the, while we're talking about gimmicks, the Death Guard's gimmick is basically that they don't paint their armor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, um, but also they carry scythes. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah, they carry scythes. I did not pick up on that. Which is which is a cool but impossible weapon to use. It is literally impossible to be good with a scythe in battle. But these fuckers are. So and Mort- Mortarian he breathes poisonous vapors. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Missed that. Uh, so uh, they go and get into a fight with the Isvanians in this. Uh, they encounter a war singer so you mentioned that their yeah. gimmick was music and war singers are sort of yeah yeah the, she's described as uh, being surrounded in light made of harmonics which yeah. like woof woof 
whatever you're talking about there, that's fine. But (laughs) (laughs) there was a really great line because Eidolon leads the charge. And uh, the line is, Eidolon charged inside the facility, the honor his by virtue of his noble rank, (laughs) which (laughs) somehow perfectly describes Eidolon. He charges in first out of everyone. Like, you can hear him leading the war cries and like, rally on me, my brothers and all this kind of pompous bullshit. (laughs) I really, really like him because he gets... He's such a pompous prick, but kind of gets bullied. Um, and he's so stupid, he doesn't understand it. He's, um, I'm a big fan of Eidolon. He's kind of like, simultaneously, he's a sort of archetypal, like, sniveling commander who, like, wants to talk shit, but not actually get involved in the fighting. You know, that's what you would expect. And then, yeah. actually, but he's also just this sort of completely foolhardy, like, <laughs> um, charging right in. Uh it's, yeah, it's just, it's kind of all over the place in an entertaining uh, but you, way. I, I, so, I sometimes just think that he um, is so stupid that almost like blows that would have killed anyone don't land on him. <laughs> like so, somehow his his pomposity protects him from from the, the worst of the battle. But, be, uh, but he gets a new facet added to his, or added to what we know about his character in this bit because so the emperor's children the others are fighting towards the top of this pyramid where the war singer is and they're having a hard time of it some of them are getting flung about by you know harmonic light or whatever it is and uh tarvitz i believe gets sort of knocked over near the top doesn't he and and he sees idol on charge to the top and then kind of just like opens his mouth and screams back yeah like screams back in a way that tarvitz is like what you know like it's not just a normal scream it's a kind of something superhuman about it yeah he he struggles up and in the end kills this war singer tarvitz is the only one to have seen that uh, how he did it and the weird circumstances under which he killed that singer the next big aspect of their plot thread is tarvitz finding out about what that what that aspect of of eidolon's personality was oh yeah it starts off by something it's really crazy and made me feel very much more positive towards the emperor's children that they are having (laughs) they are having a banquet to commemorate the success of the battle that is yet to come (laughs) yeah and it is said to be something that they do regularly (laughs) which is i think (laughs) Uh, it is brilliant like (laughs) if you want to be ben counter has given up on sort of remaking these pompous fools as people interested in perfection they are interested in just pomposity (laughs) what what a brilliant way of of depicting that (laughs) i love i like i for some reason that just makes me think of like you know how like british like football press gets like unreasonably in a froth about stupid things like uh uh, women's world cup game usa against england and um alex morgan scored a goal and she did what i thought was a really funny celebration that i mean i don't know exactly apparently she might have been referencing some phrase that's used in some program about that's the tea but anyway some people took it as she basically scored and she like did a sort of exaggerated tea drinking motion did you yeah. see it yeah 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 and was, and um it was brilliant it was funny yeah and um i and <laughs> genuinely people were like 
people got worked up about it and people in like uh, around or in the press or like yeah. around the English team were like oh it's disrespectful it's disrespectful blah 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 and I was just like oh come on um, but yeah. in, anyway <laughs> that just no, makes, makes me think of the idea of a football team football team celebrating the night before <laughs> and, and all the people going oh that's oh, a spying out of order <laughs> Christ anyway that is an off topic subject uh, but that World Cup has been so good. It's it's had my dad watching it. That is impossible, impossible to imagine. So all of the emperor's children are basically having a big feast and singing to their future victories. <laughs> I mean, um, it is. It kind of makes me think maybe I should start doing that. You know, like if you've got <laughs> if you've got a job interview coming up, you know, just celebrate it the night before, and like you're going to go in with such. Uh, confidence that such roused high spirits m- might just work um anyway yeah. and uh tarvitz is telling no they're all calling on tarvitz to st- tell a story about how lucius uh killed some insects on the planet murder from the first book and um tarvitz who's uncomfortable obviously with all this attention just goes oh no i'll let lucius tells it he's never quite happy with uh how i position him in this story at which point lucius goes that's quite right i will tell the story (laughs) and starts regaling everyone with the story of his heroism but tarvitz who we are meant to like because he's not like all these arseholes uh he slips away and he goes and finds Eidolon at which point he says this is a good time to sort of question him about what what was that that you did that sort of voice thing that you did to kill the war singer and has a bit of a uh, not an argument but a, a sort of fierce exchange of views with Eidolon <laughs> Eidolon is such a prick <coughs> he said Tarvitz would you like to be at the front of the assault or something like that and Tarvitz goes oh me <laughs> no not really but would you like to be <laughs> do, you, do you remember yeah. that bit yeah because he's, he's all like uh he's like something like oh i'm just a you know i'm just a regular yeah sergeant a or regular whatever. line officer he goes oh i know you are I'm <laughs> and that's all really you'll ever offering be you this but you'd like it if i said that to you wouldn't you <laughs> he's basically like, so harsh basically his argument is the only way you're going to get to do that is if you accept all these mutations <laughs> or or, <laughs> yeah. or like whatever it is they're doing like there yeah so so um basically yeah exactly so basically eidolon takes tarvitz down to this underground medical bay and meets fabius who's the doctor the mad frankenstein uh kind of doctor he shows him some of these like warped bodies that are missing limbs or bulging with mutations and that and says we are perfecting ourselves more we are uh, surgically improving ourselves with new organs and new stuff that is inspired by Xeno species. Tarvitz doesn't really think about it. He's disgusted by it. And he says no. And Eidolon just says, well, don't tell anyone. Off you go. <laughs> that, <laughs> Classic Eidolon. That is how it happens. And I was like, mm, Tarvitz, really? Are you just 
do you think that's really going to be it? Do you know, like, what I think about Eidolon? It's like, I feel like he kind of became an important character in the story kind of by accident, right? He was just, like, kept on being in these situations where, like, oh, we just need a sort of... We need someone to get this bit of the story done. And it just kept on being Eidolon. And that's why he's taking on all these different traits. He's, like... Uh, he. And he in this he's quite well, a main character in this book, really, isn't he? And uh, I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. And given given a lot of time to breathe, his character, <laughs> and at at no point does his character slip. Like that is who he is, and I'm a big fan. So Tarvitz goes to the Hall of Rites, which is a the sort of spiritual heart of the uh, Emperor's Children's ship. And he talks to Rylanor, who is a, a dreadnought. This is the first appearance of a dreadnought in this. And they are sort of base walking battle tanks that have uh, the body of a uh, Astartes who was near death. And these these suits keep them alive. And Eidolon has uh, allocated different squads to attack Isfan Three. Tarvitz is one of the people, but the squads appear to have been chosen at random. Uh, apart from the fact that all of them are people who don't really get on with Eidolon. They're not his chosen favourites. And Tarvitz, in conversation with Rylanor, says, uh, I think I'll stay on the ship um, because the person who was acting as the middleman between the warriors on the ground and Eidolon has died and that I will take up that role uh, in honour of of that guy and there and old is like oh you know how selfless of you tonight <laughs> yeah how selfless but all but almost like if he had a nose he would be tapping his nose i think he'd be going um i get you i get you he's going down as well so he says like do the emperor's work or something like that so that, that uh, that's what i was wondering about Rylanor. if like i did get that vibe that he kind of or knew what Tarvitz was up to and kind of wanted to help him, but no, I don't think it did. But uh, that's what I took from it. If you disagree, no, no, uh, no, I, I, I got the same vibe. I just mean like the book, not to spoil the second half, but the book never did anything with that. Subsequently, maybe it comes in a later. Oh, but... that kind of does spoil a little bit of the second. Half. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'm wrong. But I, I do tend to miss things like people having sides as part of their. <laughs> Their battle gear, so you never know. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good bit. So they're they're preparing to drop uh, on the the part of the city that was allocated to them by Horus. Meanwhile, Loken and Torgadin uh, are also preparing to drop. Right. And there is a brilliant line here, um, and it's it's it says Loken chuckled not because Torgadin was actually funny. <laughs> <but> <laughs> I was on Ben Gunter's side from this moment on. See, this, I he, this guy knows what I wanted to put. <laughs> that's like that's what I'm trying to say already, right? That there's various, there's just certain things you can look at where Ben Gunter's like, right, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna fix this. I have to finish this off, this trilogy in style. I'm gonna fix. <laughs> And that one line kind of like, yeah, exactly. 
I I hope in the in the fictional WhatsApp group that we've created for these authors, <laughs> I hope he was just sending like thumbs up emojis and like like flexing muscles emojis to all of the other authors because he was just like, I'm fixing your mess messes, boys. <laughs> just, just like all of that crap writing and crap jokes that you two gave to Garden, I'm just wiping him out as a character. <laughs> no, no, in but, one like, line. but like he was like quite clever. The little things, he's, the little switches he's made. He's like obviously he can't completely throw things out and but just with the tone of 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 the thing he's he's like he's like god instead of having to awkwardly read all these bits where Turgan's meant to be be making jokes and it's funny like let's just say that he actually just makes these jokes and everyone just thinks they're not funny (laughs) exactly exactly um when i I had to read that line again because i was just like because we we have not been reading ahead uh, we've just been reading these things as we go um, one because I think too much reading of these books would drive me mad I need enough <laughs> I need to sort of intersperse these books with other literature just so that I don't like <laughs> fucking go mad but um, but when I got to this point I was just like wow wow <laughs> He he's he's us. He's our writer. It's a bit. It's a bit. Whenever rough. the next Ben Counter book comes along, be oh. like, be reassured that we will make that point. No, legitimately, I was like, I was like, when's the next one he's done in the series? Because I, I really think this is by far the best one. Um, but yeah, it's it's almost a bit of a fourth wall breaking moment. It's like a wink to the <laughs> wink to camera. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Looking chuckled, not because Torgadon was actually funny. Turning to the camera, he winks. <laughs> Fleabag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fleabag. <laughs> Talks about his enormous arsehole. Um, so, so, yeah, Loken and Torgadin are preparing to drop, at which point I act on cruise as telling war stories well, to the young men. <laughs> hold on, because because I want to savor every bit of act on cruise that comes okay, up from his books. First, I just want to, like, highlight <laughs> So, as you've laid out very uh, clearly, the 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 legion of the sons of Horus is now sort of split into two camps, symbolised by the Mornival being split between Loken and Turgadon and the other two, right? So all that's going on, like Loken's going to investigate and stuff, all that. And <laughs> at this point, like basically the order comes through and it's like, you two are to lead the battle down down on the planet. They're like, oh, that seems weird, but don't look a gift horse in the mouth, you know? And like, they're just like, just such losers for being at the front of the battle. Like they can just, you know, they can just be completely blinded by this. And it's like when, it's like the thing you just talked about when uh, Tarvitz is saying, oh, I'll stay in the ship. And in most like combat situations, people would be like, oh, you're trying to get out of going down. But these guys are like, oh, you know, what a, yeah. what a selfless, nice thing to do. That you let someone else yeah. go at the front of this. Um, but but the, the way that Ben Counter does it again here, I really liked because it was... Uh, their entire conversation is like, I haven't looked forward to this in such a long time. Everything will be better after Istvan 3. Oh, yes. Let, whenever we get down to Istvan 3, everything will get so much better. <laughs> just like- all, all of our worries, we can just not think about because of going down to Istvan 3. And it's just like the most sort of hacky foreshadowing of some shit's going to happen on Istvan 3. <laughs> and I, I thought it was really good. So cruise. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. So yeah. Sorry. He's he's given some old classic. He's he's given it the old walking my boy and that sort of chat, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but it, it talks about him. 
it goes back to this issue of that he's he's somehow presented as <laughs> somehow he's he is presented in the most uh, as we've seen up till now cliched fashion possible as an old man right um but we're also told that space marines are immortal and there's two lines that to me contradict them each other around this point where it says Action Cruz was an old as an, as old as an Astartes could be and still count count himself a warrior. And I was like, well, what happens after that then? Yeah. You know? Um and then on one hundred fifty eight it says Astartes are functionally immortal, only in death does duty end. So and- yeah, he uh, I mean he is left to look after the women and children, basically, isn't he? Like he's he's the warrior who's left behind. He's is he not um, going in? He's going in. Oh no, he's told to look after yeah, Woken asks him to look yeah. after the remembrancers. Um and so they all make planet fall together on their different in their different locales. And then they give the the brilliant description and the legend of the creation of Istvan and that Istvan himself sung the world into being and that 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 music could still be heard by the war singers and used in battle. Yeah. Um, and that as the people of Istvan were uh, dug in in their fortified positions, they saw the drop pods coming and, and considered them to be the lost children of Istvan <coughs> coming to wreak havoc. Yeah. And that's the end of part one. And that, and that was like, I thought of all the, and it's, there's probably been bits that have tried to convey this before in these books, but that for me was the most effective scene at like kind of trying to imagine what it would be like or or paint a picture of a planet being invaded by these space marines and how terrifying and evil they would seem i mean regardless of the mm-hmm. change to chaos or not um i thought that was pretty well done there but yeah that's the end yeah of part it's, one. It, it's it, I, and it's done in the space of like a paragraph or maybe two paragraphs that he gives this culture a complete history of mythology that you know leads into prehistory all the way up to the modern time where they have architecture and libraries and a full working civilization which we know is now going to be put to the sword by these fucking idiots these wrestlers with bad gimmicks (laughs) (laughs) um and then it sort of leaves it but uh, like it really clipped along, and um, you're absolutely right. I, I This book flew by as I read it. It was by far the best. Out of a point of interest, I, do you know why these books are split into parts? <laughs> no. Like, um, why, why would you do that to a book? Because you just go on to the next page. <laughs> I, you, I, I can see why you do it with TV or films or something, and you... Well, people do, do it in a book. I mean, I can, I can, I guess I can sort of understand it with a really big book. But these individually, these books aren't that big. But <laughs> do not remember I told you that, you know, I talked about the short stories at the end of the yeah. two, two special edition ones. One of those short stories was like split into four parts. Oh, jeez! <laughs> I think it was four parts. It was certainly it had parts. Part uh, the first. <laughs> Are you getting all of the special editions? No, I think they. I think they only did special editions for one and two. So this time I'm back to the, I'm back to the classic covers, which actually makes me like it's better. Like it gives me a better vibe about like what the books are really about. The the other ones are just like just basically black covers with gold. I mean, I wouldn't exactly go as far as to call them like tasteful or restrained or anything yeah. like that, but uh, they weren't quite the full on like depictions of carnage that are the standard. 
uh, covers for these books, which I feel like is a more effective means of getting one in the right mindset for for reading. Yeah, I I, I was on blacklibrary.com the other day and um, they keep on releasing special editions like bound in leather and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like, Jesus, like, no, no. It seems quite annoying the way they're releasing them now because I think when they first brought these out it was just like straight to the small paperbacks. Now they yeah. like, <laughs> it seems like with the, the ones that are coming out at the moment which are like the last few in the series they're releasing yeah like you say these ridiculously extravagant limited edition ones <laughs> yeah. followed just, by i think hardbacks followed by just, a large yeah. scale paperbacks <laughs> and then yeah, just think if like if you put these you're buying these leather editions to be seen and, and you, <laughs> these books aren't to be seen but no but like you put them in a bookshelf and you go somebody like just perusing your books will go up and have a look and just see titles like like the aliens tits or something like that and it'll, it'll just be so embarrassing to have these leather leather bound pulp novels it just goes against the entire spirit yeah, I do, like I, I legitimately think, and that just sort of brings me back to like uh, Ben Counter on the basis of these three books that we've read. But I, I legitimately think he's he comes across as a better writer than the other two, and yeah, partly it's because he gets he seems to get it like he get what he has to do, and it's not that doesn't overcomplicate it. Gets the good stuff. I mean, it, it might be slightly in his favor that he's doing the the last book in the series here. You know, it might have worked out just that it was a better stuff for so, him to write. But so this part is considered the last book in what series? I mean, obviously it's a massive long series, but the first three were kind of a self-contained story in that they were all about the sons of Horus and Loken and all that. And then after that point, it goes on to different aspects of the. Right the overall thing i think these these three all kind of follow on as a connected story whereas the other ones are like obviously there's a big overarching narrative kind of but they really go like down all kinds of different avenues of like backstories of different legions and yeah well that's that that's really good because um you know when you read some really good books or see some really good tv and you just wonder you just love the characters and you're like I really want to know what they're doing now or I want to know what they're doing next. I don't think that about these characters. <laughs> I want to know what other characters are doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, Woken, you're just like, you've had your chance, mate. You've had many a chance. You've had two and a half books and I don't give a shit about you at all. Yeah, um, whereas Tarvitz came across pretty good in this book. I would have yeah. more Tarvitz, definitely. And... I mean, we've mentioned as we've gone along that we'd love more from the Remembrancers or different stories told in different ways and that kind of thing. But um, we're not going. We're definitely not getting those. So I guess we just want more Ben Counter. Yeah. Do you know um, anything about him? I don't. I haven't done any. Just research. what just what it says in the back of the book. So he's he's obviously written a whole bunch of books for them. He's a fanatical painter of miniatures. And he's won a prize for that, and he lives in Portsmouth. Will sent me a photograph of a line, which I won't <laughs> get to. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mention here what the line is. I'll leave that to Will. I'm so angry that you got to that first because I want that line. <laughs> um, but I was. Um, I was back in Northern Ireland uh, 
when I got that message, I was having dinner with uh, my sisters and brothers-in-law and parents and we were having conversation and there was wine and I got the message, read it, started laughing. (laughs) Uh, My my brother-in-law is a poet. And so he like he no no person I know has read more books than him and has a better idea of literature than he does. And I gave gave him the phone and he looked at it and he could not stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> he could not stop laughing for two minutes and he said, What book is this from? And I, I said, It's this book that I'm reading. It's crazy. And he said, You have to give me that. You have to give me it. So look, consider that uh, a sort of enticement to listen to next week's because it may be shit. Like, who knows? We're not very good at podcasting. It's clear. You must know that by now. But but this line is such a belter. It is like, it, it's like, oh, God, it's like Leonard Skinner playing, <laughs> no, playing that guitar solo from Freebird. It's it's. The absolute cream of the crop. There will never be a better line than this. Um, oh no! Well, you should get your uh, brother-in-law on, on as a guest. <laughs> Fuck no! Fuck no! I'm not going to tell him we do this shit. He might listen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's a pretty big build-up for that wine. But I think the wine can. can it, it can withstand such stress to be put on it. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, do you have anything else you want to say, Will? Uh, I don't think so. Cool. Well, just the final bit again, that if you're enjoying this mess that we do, <laughs> uh, tell people about it. Um, tweet it, Facebook it. You know what it's all about. It's available on all podcasting apps and all that shit. Um, well, I will leave you then. Yep. Oh, fuck no, I'm not leaving it like that. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> I'll have to edit in this. <laughs> Farewell, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> oh, woof. Right. Uh, how do you end? How do we end these things? Um, well, okay. Uh, just a quick sign off. How do you say goodbye to anyone? We will be back on the 29th of July with the next episode of Horus Heretics, where we cover the final part of Galaxy and Flames by Ben Counter. Um, <sighs> still don't know what to say. Man. Let's just leave it there. We don't, we don't, you don't want to know how many t- times you've <laughs> attempted to end this podcast. So, let's uh, so yeah. See <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it. That's it. Fuck it. <laughs>